You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I uh, just had a little bit of oral surgery yesterday, and I'll do my best to speak clearly <laughs> today. I'm not quite sure, but we'll see how it goes. So let's begin here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. I call out to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to those people who lived well, who died well, and bring that legacy of all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines. They bring that legacy from where it already lived, where it's held in this great wealth, this great um, storage of collected wisdom of humanity. And regardless of bloodline. Each one of us here today has the capacity to access that storage, that collected wisdom. And so as we begin here today, let us each make a commitment to reach out to those ancestors who hold all that is good and true and beautiful for us as the living and ask those ancestors to stand ever closer by us, to help us to do what it is that we are called to do in our time. Help us to learn that which we need to do to hold true to that which makes us better humans and then to challenge ourselves to go beyond the person we have been and become the men and women that we were born to be for there are things that are needed for those who are coming and we are the only ones here to do it. So we call out to these ancestors to help us to show up in ways that are good and true and beautiful right now for those who are coming. And let's reach beyond these human ancestors to those living things that were here long before there was ever a human. And so we reach out to all of those aspects of life here on earth, every single facet of it. It all has a connection through the great web of life. It all has its own unique life force. And let us as humans reach beyond the limitation of our human existence, that great web of life. And to call out to all of these different spirits of nature to help each one of us come to understand more deeply our own true nature, that we are not our minds, and to move more deeply into the true nature of each human that we are and our place in this great web of life. And as we give gratitude to these ancestors, human and non-human, let us call ourselves into focus here today, drawing ourselves from wherever we might be into our head, another breath from the head to the heart, another breath from the heart to the belly. And let us take a moment, stop everything that we're doing and take this simple moment to give gratitude to the earth for life, for this place in which you carry out that journey. For all that has been on that journey that has brought you to this moment and all that will be. We give deep, deep gratitude to the earth for diversity and beauty, for possibility and challenges. And this place in which that all plays out. With enormous gratitude to the earth, let us take a moment and just give thanks for life itself. The wonder and awe of that and all of the challenges of our time. There is still that place to be grateful for the simple fact of being alive and being a possibility in this time. And so with great gratitude to the earth, let us reach down through all the layers of the earth, reaching our energy all the way down, giving gratitude to each layer as we go until we reach deep into the center of the earth and connect to those energies that draw their strength, their power, their magic out of darkness, out of stillness, out of silence, out of solitude, out of these energies that restore and renew. And let us draw this earth energy up, bringing up into our life, into ourselves, into these proceedings, this energy 
that refreshes and renews, replenishes, restores, allow us to begin again. This energy that teaches us the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form in a good way. This energy that is before all of the abundance that we share and use here in our everyday life. Let us give gratitude for the energy before that. It is unknown and uncertain to many of us and let us open our hearts to that which is before, that which is so profoundly other than all of this that we find here in form. And so let's draw that energy into ourselves and remember that we are part of even this energy as we connect down to the earth and come to get a better sense of who we are and where we stand and what we stand for. Get a better sense of that which truly has heart and meaning for you from your feeling of that. Not because this is what others have told you, but because you feel it in your heart that this has meaning. And let you uh, have the courage to build your life based on what has heart and meaning for you. And to do so in a way that is focused on that deep personal truth, but also open to that possibility, especially found in people and ideas and learning about things that are other than what you already know, other than how you already think and other than what you are already comfortable with. And as we reach into that great diversity of life, let us ask the energy of the earth to help us to come into right relationship with the person that we are growing into being and right relationship with all the many things that cause discomfort that help us to grow. Ask the energy of the earth to help us to learn to be in right relationship with our environment and with the spirit world and understand how in all of these ways, if we can simply open up to the interconnectedness of things, we can drop into that unity, that connection with a great oneness, this big fabric of life, and to feel our place within it in a way that also has meaning for us. And so as we begin to reorganize ourselves and focus on this day, let us draw this energy up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind and send your energy up and out the top of your head into the sky and whatever weather it holds for you, whatever time of day you are listening, sending it out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos, reaching all the way up to the highest power of the universe and connecting there. By whatever name you name this energy in whatever way you conceive of it, connect with it and draw it down. Drawing into yourself and into your day and into these proceedings, the energy of blessing and protection. That which inspires us to devotion and commitment and to the benevolence of this universe. We draw these energies in to ourselves and our life. Real palpable energies bringing in inspiration and illumination. That possibility of the light coming from a lighthouse and the great storm of uncertainty in your day. We call in these energies that connect us to the beneficence of our universe. And we draw these energies in knowing that they are available equally to all people, to all things. And as we draw this energy from above down through our head and our heart and our belly and send it down to the center of the earth, we have that little moment of the energies of earth and sky coming together, these two great legendary lovers. And let that big love of that energy awaken the spirit of your own human heart. May you call up the fiery passions of your belly into that crucible of transformation that lives there in your heart and draw down the crystal clarity of your mind and let the transformation of fires and the clarity of the mind move together in that paradoxical dynamic tension of a dance Uh, and let that inspire in you or remind in you or somehow bring into awareness in your own heart that deep heart memory of why you are here. And may you remember that you need only to reach into that very same human heart to find the courage to do something in this day, large or small, to bring those gifts into the world. And for all of the spirit help, named and unnamed, that we have that assists us in this every day, I give great thanks. And I want to give special thanks to Kevin and Kelly, to Shane and Sherwood, to Rose, Catherine, and Altimeter Style. And all of those of you who have been able to donate to Why Shamanism Now financially. 
For those of you that are listening for the first time, Why Shamanism Now is listener-supported. It is only because of the donations of listeners like you, humble though they may be, because there are many of you out there. Every single $5 donation matters. So if you are moved in by this show in any way, if it educates you or inspires you or irritates you, just know that you have been moved in your heart. And I ask you to do that most fundamental of shamanic acts, which is to allow that which moves your heart to motivate your actions in the world. And to do something as your actions are motivated to help the show to grow stronger, to stay relevant to our current times and to stay vital and sustainable. And so if you're not able to donate financially, please consider other ways to help the word of the show spread, the teachings of the show deepen through your own practice of them. And please uh, feel free to share any questions that you might have with me at Christina at LastMaskCenter.org. For those of you that want to donate, you can go to WhyShamanismNow.com. Those of you that download from iTunes don't always know there's this other show site and you can go to the support button and donate any amount large or small we are grateful for all of it today's show is part two for um integrating shamanic peak experiences um honestly nine years into this show with a new show for eight years every week um i'm running out of things that i can talk about in an hour And so a lot of shows get started, they end up being really thick and rich that first show and I just realized two-thirds of the way through that I can't really finish this topic in any sort of responsible way and so if you'll notice many of the shows this year end up having a part two. So today is part two of the show we started last week um, called Integrating Shamanic Peak Experiences and we are still live, we were live last week and we are this week. Um, so if you have questions about today's topic, you can call in at 512-772-1938 or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. All right. So as I said, I'd like to continue with this exploration of the integration of shamanic peak experiences. And this is a, an, a show that is a direct answer to listeners' questions that were posted on the Why Shamanism Now Facebook page. Uh, so how do we integrate or why do we need to integrate? Um, so... Let me be direct here at the beginning so we can step over the elephant in the room and move on with what we're really trying to talk about here, which is if you are engaged in shamanic altered states, be that ayahuasca experiences or um, your own rituals or ceremonies or whatever these things might be, if you're engaged in them to escape your everyday life, um, and then that's an addictive relationship with these things, and no, you don't need to integrate. Because you're not engaging in these altered states with the willingness to hunker down into what it takes to truly transform through these experiences. The experiences themselves are available to us. They don't mean anything in and of themselves unless you give them meaning. And so if you're engaged in these experiences as kind of an addictive process or you are um, – another way that people engage in these, these experiences is um, to validate their ego, validate uh, uh, a deep lack of confidence by uh, – so a common example would be the people who presume because I can journey, I must be the shaman. That because I can have this profound altered state, it must mean something that I am special. And so there's the ego piece of that. There's also the um, more heartbreaking piece of this, which is people that are looking for these altered states to validate the idea that they have something special to offer the world, that they have a uniqueness or a special quality. Often people will come out of the journey saying, oh, I just – I'm not sure how to interpret this journey, but I have this profound feeling that I meant to do something special with my life. Yeah, you are. We all are. And so 
part of what I'm talking about is how our lack of cultural reference, our lack of cosmology for these altered states puts us in a position where we, one, engage in them for the wrong reasons, but two, because of that, don't interpret them uh, masterfully or accurately. And number three, it makes us the kind of people that then would question, why would I need to integrate this? The whole point of this peak experience was it just showed me I'm special. We're done. That was the point. And I'm going to do it again next Friday so I can keep validating my specialness. And so my point is if you're engaging in your shamanic peak altered states for these reasons, even if you haven't admitted that to yourself or you really truly can't understand why – what the value of integrating these states would be, then these shows aren't for you. I'm talking to everybody else. I'm talking about people who actually want, have already accepted the fundamental principle in shamanic cultures, which is everybody is here for a reason. There's no other reason the universe would give you a body to use if you didn't have a reason to use it. It's a cosmic relationship. It's a debt you owe to the cosmic order. You were given a body you owe back by doing your uniqueness. It's a fundamental given of being a human if you believe that things start from a place of oneness. And so spending years in your shamanic practice just to validate the fact that you have a unique thing to bring to the world is kind of missing the point. But we do that because we don't have – a shared cultural cosmology that sets us up to answer those deep questions like why are we here? What is here? What's the purpose of being here? Okay, so this is why last week's show entered into these questions because you can't really talk about why we would integrate and how we would integrate if you're not coming to your shamanic peak experiences from an appropriate perspective in the first place. And part of it is recognizing our helping spirits meet us wherever we are. We can really be in a wretched place and they will still show up. It doesn't prove anything other than the fact that you have helping spirits. But we know that if we actually understand what's really going on here. And so... My point is this question of do we need to integrate, how do we integrate is right at this intersection between being contemporary people doing shamanic things, seeking these peak altered states, but staying in your head and your heart a contemporary person. So this is the intersection between that and someone who's actually accepted the fact that this contemporary person gig is fundamentally dysfunctional and unhealthy and that I am drawn into these shamanic teachings and skills to learn to be a shamanic person in the contemporary world. In other words, I'm not playing Indian. I'm not just trying to um, appropriate someone else's culture because I have some romanticized idea that in the past everything was perfect. It's more the sense of recognizing I need a new way to approach life because the one that I have been taught is unsustainable and fundamentally unhealthy. And so if you, if you are that person, which is a person who's becoming a shamanic person, a shamanic belief system, a shamanic cosmology, a shamanic understanding, answering the questions of why are we here, then the integration begins to make sense because we're using these transformational and initiatory experiences to move ourselves more and more deeply into this healthy person in this contemporary world that needs us to deliver our medicine to the world. So there's steps in that process and that way of living. And so this question seems like such an innocent question. Why do I need to integrate? How do I integrate? It seems simple. But it's not because this question is right here at this interface between these two very, very different reasons that we engage in these altered states in the first place. Okay, so that's the elephant. So back on task here, the continuation of last week's show. So quick review of last week's show just to put today in context. All right, so. 
last week was about realizing we need to understand why we are seeking altered or alternate states of consciousness in the first place. And this really begins by understanding that humans need answers in your, in your deep soul satisfied place that maintains your mental, emotional and physical health, right? Humans need answers to the lasting and perpetual questions. Where are we? Why are we here? What does it all mean? And perhaps most important, what am I supposed to do with all of that? Right? We need at the very least to engage in this conversation with the universe, at least to engage in this conversation, if not actually find answers. And that the drive to engage in this conversation, to ask these questions of our universe and to seek these answers is as valid and innate a drive as sex or hunger or thirst. Now granted, it can be derailed by literal survival needs. So we have to have met our survival needs first often to indulge this question. But even people in the midst of, um, let's say, living in a refugee camp while war rages around them, even though their survival issues are still a, an everyday concern, that doesn't mean as humans they aren't in moments where they're asking themselves, why are we here? Why am I here? What is the purpose of this? How do I find the deeper meaning in this? And so the important thing is recognizing if we are not engaged in life in a way that is answering these questions, that is often that fundamental foundation for our mental unwellness, our emotional unwellness, our dissatisfaction from life, our choice to disconnect, all of these things that are very contemporary, very diagnosed, and very pharmaceutically treated often stem back to the fact that you are simply not choosing to live your life at that level where you're asking these really soulful questions. And we need to. We need to the same way we need to eat good food and drink clean water. Okay. So that's decades of study by people far more deeply involved in that than I am. But the point is, I agree. And this is what I feel the helping spirits are trying to move us towards all the time as we work with them is to get a sense of what is the context here for us to be living our life and to get on with that unique reason we're here to live it. Okay. So. We talked last week about how not all, 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 all altered states are created equal. That, as I've already said here in the show, that if you are simply using your altered states to escape, it's just a whole nother conversation that I'm not really wanting to have with you. I'm bored, right? I'm bored already. So go have that somewhere else, right? So that what we're talking about is that engaging in altered states that move us into this liminal space. And then we had to talk about what that means, right? But the liminal space is um, the reason for entering into it is because it helps to deconstruct our former identity. And that this phase is preparation for these kinds of recalibration or restructuring, deconditioning, reconfiguring, reprogramming, however you want to talk about it. But that ability to get into our core operating system and dismantle it so that we have the possibility of reassembling it in a new way so that we can be new people. And so we talked about liminal space as this threshold or this point at which these multiple variables come together in such a way that you, the substance present, um, suddenly begins uh, to dissemble and reassemble and be able to be um, experience this um, deconstruction that comes from this liminal state and that that threshold experience is important and so the liminal state is all part of this idea of this threshold moving us to a place where we can no longer hold on to our identity as we last knew it get shuffled into some new thing and then that's kind of the point of these altered states is this peak experience this perceiving of things in a different way why does this matter well 
the point that I was ultimately trying to get to is a very non-contemporary perspective is that these liminal spaces are not the point. They are the threshold. They are the opening to a possibility, but they in and of themselves aren't the point. Um, primarily because if we don't do anything after we've experienced them, we will ultimately over time return for the most part to the person we were before that experience. So if we want the potential in that possibility, then yes, we need to integrate. Right, So that was the whole path getting us to why we need to integrate. And then we talked about integration also is not this passive time you spend sort of reflecting on things after the altered state experience, that it's an actual active phase. It's an intentional act that – or actually many acts that we engage in over time. And I pointed out because now we're talking about many different potential situations, but in general – if we're talking about having reached a liminal state that's moved us through the threshold, we've deconstructed, we're, we've kind of fallen apart in a certain way, we're ready to integrate the potential possibility in that change that there is the integration process. And for that process to happen, there is something, right, that is being integrated into somewhere, right? And all three aspects of this process, the process itself and your conscious choice to engage with it, the something and the somewhere, they're all you. But the beauty of the peak experience, the shamanic altered state, whatever it is that we're talking about that's moved us into this place that that we're somewhat deconstructed from normal is that we have this possibility to change because all three of these things, the integration, the something that's being integrated into somewhere are all variables. They're all new and different. So we have this possibility, this this window of opportunity. <clears throat> and so within that, it's important to realize that window doesn't stay open forever, that there is a timing in which we are gooey or plastic or changeable and that ultimately day after day over time if we don't change anything we will ultimately return to the, the momentum of our old way of being will reestablish itself there may be subtle changes but not fundamental not fundamentally different changes and so that window closes naturally as these old belief systems reestablish themselves in either organized or disorganized way. And we talked about that a little bit last week, what that means. But you need, you know, it's important, make no mistake that you can be sent to the liminal space. Actually, to be honest, relatively easily. But it means very little. It in and of itself doesn't mean anything. There's far too many people thinking because they did ayahuasca and ayahuasca gave them a task that that means something, that that has something to do. Someone sent me an email recently about having had you know big dreams that gave good information and that somehow this means something special about my soul's purpose. And it's like, no, you're like everybody else. Humans have big dreams. The big dreams give us messages. And they are what they are. Stop trying to draw meaning out of places that st – stop trying to draw your sense of your uniqueness and your purpose out of these events, out of these dreams, out of these external things. Your value and meaning and purpose is internal and that the purpose of these liminal states is to deconstruct – the way you've got yourself organized that keeps you from understanding what that meaning is, what that passion for that purpose is, and to reorganize yourself so that you can be in an everyday relationship with it. It's not, it's not in the event itself. It's about the way that you use the event, uh, to change yourself such that you can get at these energies that you're lacking relationship with and build an intimate ongoing relationship with them before things re-establish themselves. Okay. So last week we finally got to the point 
um, that we needed to actually begin to talk about integration in this more meaningful way. And the most important thing, if you want to realize the possibility of any of these amazing and wonderful altered states that we can get to, the most powerful rituals, etc., you need to understand that you will have to identify underlying beliefs and replace them, delete them and replace them. And that is the most important act in integration and the piece people have the least amount of skills to do as I observe people and hear their frustrations uh, with this experience that we're talking about of having these peak experiences and why six months later have I just gone back to be the same way that I was before or sometimes worse. We talked about reorganizing yourself in a disorganized way that's actually worse than before you went into the experience. And so anyway, to realize this potential in these peak states, you need to one, um, identify and delete the underlying beliefs and replace them with beliefs that are more aligned with universal truths and that this new belief system and the existence that it then drives in you. So our beliefs drive our actions. And so if I'm going to delete eight old beliefs and replace them with two really uh, fundamentally true universal beliefs, I now need to start consciously making sure that my actions are aligned with the new beliefs and not actually continuing to play out the old beliefs. Just because you change a belief at a fundamental level doesn't mean that you can um, stabilize that change. And that is another big problem that people have in their perception of the, oh my God, feeling from these peak states is many shamanic transformational experiences actually expose the belief, change the belief, and show you accurately the belief you need to replace it with. And for a period of time after that experience, you'll sort of be in the honeymoon phase with that, you know, just be in the sort of the glow of that. But unless you choose consciously to integrate that in so that those new beliefs and, and take responsibility to make sure those new beliefs are driving your actions and where they're not, where the actions are showing you you're still living the old beliefs, you go in and consciously clear that unless you're doing that. The power of that shamanic ritual that created that change will ultimately be lost. The potential, the power, the potential that it created for you to make that real in your life. I mean, back to probably one third of the why shamanism now shows what you do every day is your practice, right? And so you need to practice the new beliefs. The way to do that, you have to know what they are. To know what they are, you have to have consciously integrated. You see, there's this whole piece in here about why integration matters is because you have to bring your conscious choosing self online or it will simply go back to choosing the old way. That's how humans work. I'm not saying anything revolutionary. I mean, the number of books that you could go buy at Powell's bookstore in Portland, Oregon about this concept is staggering. What I'm trying to help people that tend towards shamanism and spirituality to understand is shamanic work is not a way to avoid using your mind and understanding how to train your mind to engage in living in the real world in a really good way that that spirit can't do it for you where your choice is concerned so that's what, why the integration matters. Okay, so integration has these aspects of the integration and the something integrating into somewhere. And all of those things are variables and you have to manage to work with that. And that core of the integration also has these other phases which have to do with the timing and getting in to delete the old code, things like that. And so if the beliefs have been exposed in the experience, then uh, you, the you who depends on those old beliefs, has to be engaged in a way that he or she can make new choices. 
the fact that it happened in the peak experience is not enough to sustain it for forever. You have to take the clarity of what was shown to you, what you experienced in the peak experience and make it real in your internal world where your choices are being made. And even if you feel all those steps happened, because in some profound shamanic rituals, I have seen it happen, right? Then the new beliefs have to be consciously chosen and practiced, right? So there's the change of the beliefs and then the integration and implementation of them. Okay. So let's start with some examples, which is what I wanted to get to last week. So integration is the process through which these separate things, you know, newly separated things, are brought together ideally in a new way, the integration of these peak experiences. So in the context of this topic, we're talking about how we bring together aspects of ourself after an intense shamanic event that has succeeded one way or another to release us from these old internal linkages that hold the aspects of ourself together in the old familiar way. Okay, so let's look at some examples of that. Okay, so let's talk about a failed integration. Successful ritual, failed integration. Okay, so many years ago I did a ritual with a man, a fire ritual with a man who wanted to quit smoking and he had tried everything. I know many of you are listening now because I hear this from many people. They had He had tried everything and had not succeeded. And so because of that, he was actually willing to bring this to the fire, bring this into a shamanic ritual, even though he wasn't a particularly adept person in these sorts of things. So much to my amazement, he he took the steps of the preparation very seriously, showed up at this ritual, this fire ritual that we had, and worked the fire, worked the four directions, was really deeply exposing about his with the fire, to the fire, about his relationship with smoking and his deep desire to be freed of that relationship. And the fire rituals that I conduct have kind of a two-month window for change. And after that two months, the old energy um, essentially is uh, laid back down again by spirit, if you will. It's like spirit lifts it up off our shoulders so we're capable of making changes but after that two months, which is basically two moon cycles, um, those things you tried to change get laid back down. Now, if you've made any changes at all, you won't be there to receive that energy and it will be released back into the natural flow of things. But if you haven't done any integration, you haven't actually changed. You haven't moved. And so your shoulders are effectively where they were when you engage the ritual. And so as spirit lays those energies back down, your shoulders are right there to receive it again. Okay, so you can see what's coming here, right? Okay, so this guy does a great fire ritual after decades of smoking because he was in his 40s. So after decades of smoking, he had absolutely no impulse to smoke a cigarette for two months no compensatory eating things or behavior things going on. What he noticed in this process is that what he missed for himself about smoking is that that needing to go take a smoke was a way that he got out of the office and went by himself and had some quiet time during the day. It's it's in a, in a sense, it was his substitute for solitude and meditation. And so we talked about how he might need to choose a practice to bring into his day some solitude and meditation. Um, we talked about a need, in spite of the fact that he wasn't having any compensatory food responses to the cigarettes, that all this was very biological and he might want to do some kind of a detox. Um, even, all of these possibilities of what he could do. But the bottom line is he didn't do anything. He observed, he noticed, he stayed very aware of how his life was different, but he did nothing to integrate the differences, nothing to 
take the insights that he had, like, hmm, this was my solitary meditation practice. Maybe I should have one. All of that did none of it. And I happened by the coincidence of spirit probably trying to get me to learn things, happened to be present with him at a social event on the evening that was exactly two months from the night of the fire ritual. And we were sitting at a table with friends, like eight people at a table watching something, um, some performance. And uh, in the middle of a conversation, he looked over at one of the people at the table and bummed a cigarette. And my jaw dropped open as I looked at him and he looked at me like, what? And just lit up just like the old days and started smoking. It's as if he had suddenly gone completely um, amnesiac about the last two months and his desire to stop smoking. All of it was just gone. It was just gone. And he was right back smoking exactly the way that he was before. Not as much, but over time, as you can imagine, those of you that smoke know, over time, months ahead, right back up to the same amount that he had been smoking. And so this is a, was a really clear example to me in the early times of my practice of the fact that the ritual, making the ritual work is not the point. It, it, it's critical. It is important to set that change in motion, to open that window of opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely essential for this person. But that it is the integration and the follow-up after that actually allows the changes to become real, the potential to be realized. And, and it really, uh, I continue to be amazed at how spirit is showing me through these experiences the power of the mind to undo the very thing you're consciously choosing to do with some other part of your mind. I mean, it's just unbelievable, right? So that is a, for me, that was the primary teaching in the very beginning of this actual story of Christina, it's not about the power of your rituals. Spirit will come in and make those rituals happen if you'll just do your due diligence. The Your job with people is to help them to understand how to integrate, why to integrate. And so for me, I'm always shocked to meet practitioners that are just in this, oh, no, spirit does it. You know, we don't need to do anything. We don't need to understand what happened. We don't need to follow up. And I, it, my jaw just drops open and I wander off. I mean, it's like it's unbelievable to me because this to me has been one of the consistent messages from spirit from the get-go. If you want to make change in the world, you as a human being need to learn how to change the human being, to integrate those changes into permanent new ways of being and living. Okay, so let's use another example. So this is an example of successful soul retrieval, person feeling totally shifted and changed immediately after the event. It was someone who was actually a shamanic practitioner themselves, and so they had huge skill set to work with this. Um. However, this person was one of those people that likes to do everything through ritual and ceremony and doesn't like to sit down and think about it. And so instead of following the instructions that I give to everybody to integrate, um, you know, these steps need to happen. You need to discipline yourself and just do it each day. They're not hard, but they just need to be done. And if those things are done, there's lots of flexibility about how you do it. But the point is you need to do it. And if you do do it, then your soul parts will get integrated. Okay, so what happened with this person, because they love shamanism and everybody loves their journey and they just wanted to turn everything into a ritual, instead of just following through with this humble integration process of simply communicating with your soul parts and through that internal dialogue, beginning to shift around the beliefs and understanding through these questions what actions need to be taken for these things to change. So very humble, step-by-step, no bells and whistles kind of process. And then instead, this person started entering into rituals with the soul parts, with the unintegrated soul parts. 
And by the time she finally checked in with me two months later, which is way too long. People should check in a couple weeks after. Anyway, two months later, she had created such a mess energetically in her life by engaging in all of these different ritual processes with each of the different soul parts as parts. Now, they're only retrieved. They have not yet been integrated. There's nothing wrong with the parts, but they're still looking at life from an incomplete perspective and and very specifically a perspective born out of some sort of shock, fear, trauma, or abuse in life. So it's not a holistic perspective. That's what the integration is for, is to bring it into a holistic perspective and you into that holistic perspective as well because you're not the whole story either. That's why the soul part and you need to come together. So all the issues that resulted in this person's life because of the soul parts being gone, which for many of us um, are addictive behaviors to try to fill the holes, um, different compensatory rela- uh, actions in relationship, either pulling people in and being needy or pushing people away. All those behaviors associated with these particular soul parts, which the person up until that soul retrieval have been fairly successful using shamanic skills to manage. And so they've been basically at a lower uh, capacity in life, completely blew up because she'd been doing these rituals and ceremonies divined with the soul parts that were unintegrated and, and it was just – the, the rituals felt fun. They were connected to the soul energy, but the effect in life was it just was aggravating the not being integrated part of it, which is also the soul parts still not being listened to, not being felt into, not being deeply understood, but now in a sense they're just being used for more and more shamanic craziness. So I'm not explaining this very well, honestly, because I can't quite remember what the rituals were because of the time I was told I was in shock. Um, but my point is that the person simply refused to walk the humble path of integration and basically, let's face it, made shit up, just made stuff up to do without looking at the fact that this is making my everyday life worse. I'm doing it. I I am not following the integration process. I am making shit up with my helping spirits and my soul parts. And consequently, the very behaviors that are in my life because of the soul loss in the first place are blowing up in my face and I'm not putting two and two together and realizing I need to stop what I'm doing and actually do integration. Okay, so let's see about a successful uh, integration. So in a successful integration, okay, so a simple successful integration with a fire ritual. Okay, worked with a man who was um, – a really lovely psychologist back in the days when psychologists talked to their clients. And, but his life, his personal life had ultimately fallen apart piece after piece because he had started drinking and been drinking for a couple decades. And while he could show up at work and do a good job for his clients, he was not showing up in his life and doing a good job for his wife, his children, himself. Um, and so, at the fire, he took me at my word and decided I'm going to use this fire ritual to change this one thing in my life. I'm going to focus the whole power, transformational power of this ritual on stopping drinking, which he did. He did a beautiful job at the fire ritual. Um, spirit brought him and the fire and the spirit brought him what he needed to do to stop um, drinking, much like the smoker. No desire to drink after that, but... Because he did have psychological skills for talking to himself, for I think we talked about last time self-engagement, but also internal awareness and access to his intuition. Those are three subtly different things, all valuable, 
not one more valuable than the other, but because over his years as a psychotherapist and in his trainings, he had learned to do these things with himself. He was able to engage his deeper inner self. He certainly was in communication with his soul self, you know, that wants to know why am I here? What are we doing? Let's do my purpose, right? He had skills for internal awareness, meaning more, you know, what am I feeling internally, not my external awareness and what others perceive of me, but internally what is going on, as well as access to his intuition and, you know, sort of non-logical thinking. And because he had all of those skills, he was able after that fire ritual um, over the two months, he took my two-month time frame very seriously, and he spent, um, I think he did something really smart but obvious, which is I think he scheduled his last session every day with himself. So every single day he had scheduled into his book and was therefore losing money, right? So he it important. It's his sacrifice. I am sacrificing the fees I would get for this session, you know, once a day, five days a week. That is the sacrifice I'm making to commit to this integration process. And then he would spend that last hour, you know, not doing billing or something like that, but to actually sit with himself and do the work of understanding now that he was no longer drinking who who did he have access to within himself because of that liminal state and the and the changing of those internal relationships what could he see differently what could he let go of what beliefs had been exposed that he needed to cleanse and release delete and what beliefs did he want to put in their place and he had a number of those because he had been um, studying shamanism and other spiritual forms and realizing some of his more mental psychological beliefs were not really the highest belief that he wanted to hold, that there were some more spiritual beliefs that he wanted to hold at an even deeper level. And so over those two months, because he made an appointment to spend time with himself, and he did it for the most part, five days a week for those two months, is he was able to integrate that change. And to my knowledge... It's been now easily 20 years. He's never had another drink. But more importantly, he's never needed to do anything in such a way to avoid showing up for himself. And so by simply putting the time and energy in with skills to integrate this single fire ritual, he made a huge change in his life, not just with the, the expressed addiction around alcohol, but the addictive behavior he was engaging in in general um, that kept him from being present with himself and in that present with his life in the way that he wanted to and then ultimately present with other people. And I think it was a ways down the road, I mean years, it wasn't immediate, but a few years down the road he even eventually met um, a woman and was able to enter into a quality of relationship that he, honestly, you know, 20 years earlier, he hadn't been able to even imagine. And this is a man doing work with one ritual, but being willing to integrate it. Um, so Another example of successful integration I want to share with you all is art because people leave this out. And granted, this whole conversation, right, got started talking with um, Rachel Harris about psychological integration, which is a, a sticky wicket, right, because not all therapists are created equal, right? And, not all, and that was partly what Rachel was saying is we as therapists need to learn how to help people integrate these spiritual experiences without – killing them off with the heavy-handed psychological stuff. Okay. Anyway, this artist didn't really have the kinds of skills the man I was just describing had because the psychological skills. What she was was an artist, and she could certainly paint more from a spirit mind perspective where she would get an image and manifest it in her work. But she also could paint more from what I consider kind of an art therapy place where you're tuning into an energy inside and bringing it out so that you can understand it by this kind of intuitive painting. You're not trying to – one, you're usually not trying to craft it perfectly. Um, 
but more to the point, you're not trying to create um, an image that you've conceived of clearly in your mind. You're more trying to express through the work something that's kind of unknown to you but held inside. And I think all of the creative arts, so movement, sound, and visual art, um, sound, writing songs, all of these creative – songs are tricky because now we're getting back into words. But particularly the aspect of creative expression that keeps us out of words can be extremely helpful for the integration. So in other words, she kept internally kept coming at up against this thing that was like a wall. And so then she painted the wall and then she painted another painting of the wall that that had other elements with it and it was because of her reflection on the painting once it, once it was done of the wall with the other elements that she began to understand what belief the wall represented. That that this hard uh, stopping thing she was running into was her own belief. She couldn't get at it psychologically, but she could paint it and she could paint it and reflect on it and then come to understand what her inner symbolic language was communicating to her. So consequently, she painted the process of integrating each of her soul parts and it was a very intuitive reach inside of myself, puke this out on the paper, and then reflect on it kind of process. But what I like about this example is that it shows this repetition. Like I said before, integration is a conscious act. It takes time. It takes energy. You have to do it again and again. It's not going to be done Tuesday, right? You need to come at it day after day. Um, not necessarily for a long period of time. She didn't paint every day. I think she painted for a couple hours on the weekend. You know, otherwise she was painting whatever her working artist painting job was, right? Anyway, my point is what I like about this example is the repetition of picture after picture in response to each of the integration questions that I had given her. So she just accepted the process she'd been given and worked it in her own way. And she showed all these five aspects of integration, the time, the energy, the self-engagement, the external, the, the internal awareness being drawn up and made external through the painting, which she could then reflect on. And then finally, the intuition that was re- inspiring all parts of that process. And so through art, she was able to use art then to integrate exactly the same way this other man was using his own therapeutic skills to integrate. Now, she had a clear process, but relative to the person who had all these shamanic skills to integrate, she did a better job integrating because she accepted the step-by-step nature of any integration process. It is a humble process. It's not the high of the peak experience. It's, in a sense, the, the chop would carry water. It's the work of integrating the inside of that high experience into your everyday life. Okay. So, if you can believe it, I have once again run out of time. But the rest of the show is largely ideas like this, which is trying to share with you examples from my time in myself with my own my own processes, integrating my own processes, processes and helping others to really understand the profound benefit of being willing to let the pursuit of another peak state go for a minute and spend some time doing the actual work of self-transformation. That is a conscious act that involves, yes, connecting with your intuition. So, for example, the artist, I've also seen people do that kind of integration through movement and sound. Similar, a little bit more challenging to reflect But the reflection time is usually sort of sitting in yourself after and communicating with the soul part, maybe helping spirits. Okay, so that is basically my point um, coming back to the listener's question, which is, you know, do we need to integrate? Do we have the tools? Well, that really depends on the person. It depends on a deep understanding of and respect for the time and energy that it takes to integrate and that it's not high states.
states, not stakes, high states. It's not another peak experience. It's about the day by day. And the accurate interpretation of the experience and the somethings you are now working with is important, right? Just as understanding about the somewhere, what is it integrating into and that um, I was going to share another example of someone who did all the other parts perfectly, but their sense of self was so fragile that the somewhere they were integrating back into, it actually couldn't hold all the positive changes and there was a big collapse. And so then we had to change the path of the work to building that sense of self, not healing the issues. I know, I know that sounds like kind of a weird distinction, but she needed to build a deeper structure, a more fertile ground to plant the healing events into. And, and that, and so that is the kind of thing that can also be exposed in the integration that you're somewhere, where it's integrating into is not strong enough, not a healthy enough ego, not, um, a clear cosmology that reflects reality back to you. All of these kinds of things affect the somewhere. But that ultimately, can you integrate, depends on these things. Do you have the skills? Are you willing to have a witness? And ultimately, do you have the courage to let go of who you have been and do the work to become the person that you could be? So I want to give thanks to the ancestors and their patience and persistence with us. To the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.